Well, so now I know who I'm, I'm going to pick the 19 for those who didn't cheer. So you've been selected as my 19 to stick around for the meeting. Uh, thank you so much, Steve. Um, I want to start today's message with three very simple words that if you are a follower of Jesus, you have said before. Jesus is Lord. How many of you have ever said those words? <laughs> okay. Hopefully if followers of Jesus at some point in your walk, some point you have made the bold statement that Jesus is Lord. Do you for a moment ever wonder what that statement actually means? <laughs> and the weight we give our lives to that type of a statement. It's an easy statement to put on a Christmas card. You know, you send a Christmas card to your friends and family and you got like a picture of your kids and, you know, and you you did that traditional family Christmas photo. We never did that as a family because we had like, you know, me and my son and Hyper and I couldn't sit still for the camera. I'd always be like making stupid faces for the Christmas card. I thought that would be funny. My wife didn't think it was funny. You know, and so we come up with all of these Christmas traditions around the idea that Jesus is Lord. And then we go out into the world, and if we're really honest, in many, many ways, if you take a hard look at our lives, the reality is the world is Lord. And, and, and that's the tension that you and I live in. And that's why since September, we've been talking about the crucial reality that it is so important for followers of Jesus, not to just be religious, not to just do church, but to truly abide in Christ. <laughs> that we are truly connected with our Heavenly Father, that we put ourselves in positions and in postures to actually hear from Him. And then we just go on a journey of discipleship, not as individuals, but as a church family, to grow one another into obedient Christ-likeness. <laughs> Because we believe the three words that Jesus is Lord. But life is hard. The world is complicated. And our spiritual enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. Merry Christmas. <laughs> okay? And it's not to be discouraged by that but it's to understand the reality of that. Now, I believe as a follower of Jesus, if you've put your faith in Jesus to turn from your sin and welcome Jesus into your life, I believe what the Bible teaches us is your salvation, your eternity in heaven is secure forever. And so your enemy cannot kill, steal, or destroy that. But boy, your spiritual enemy when you do not make Jesus Lord of your life and you allow the world to be the Lord of your life, your spiritual enemy will kill, steal, and destroy your reputation 
and your witness to your family and your friends and your colleagues and your loved ones. See, because ultimately, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. And for the next two weeks, as we wrap up this series of, called The Way, we've been talking about this way since September of following Jesus and abiding in Jesus, is as you and I grow and become more like Jesus, as we just feel closer to God, as he blesses, as he guides, as he grows us, we are richly blessed by that. But at the end of the day, it's not about how I'm blessed. It's not. At the end of the day, it's how God uses me to bless other people. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And he chose in his infinite wisdom to use you and me to do that. And he will pour out his blessings as a good heavenly father. But he pours out his blessings so that we could be a blessing to all the nations. So that they can know their heavenly father. So what I want to do today is I want us to read a passage from 1 Peter chapter 2. And it's been kind of fun doing this series leading up into the Christmas season because normally for the four weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, we do like the Hope, Joy, Peace, Love sermon series every year. And I always have to do the same Christmas texts every single year. And as a guy who preaches, it's like I never want to think the Bible's boring. But every once in a while, I say, like, oh, man, I got to do Luke chapter 2 again. You never want to get there. So it's awesome that I could do, oh, First Peter chapter 2, because this is like the most un-Christian te- uh, sorry, un-Christmas text I could read the week before. It's very Christian. Uh, don't quote me on that. Sorry. It's the microphone. There's something wrong with the microphones today. There's something in the coffee this morning. I don't know. But, but why Jesus came. This text in First Peter chapter 2 is why we celebrate Christmas. Okay? It's that Jesus is Lord. And we have to look at our lives and ask ourselves the challenging question, Jesus, are you Lord of my life? And not just something I put in a Christmas card, not just something I sing in a worship song, but it's a reality that people actually notice. Because if no one notices Jesus is Lord in your life, then Jesus is probably not Lord of your life. So let me read this long introduction, I realize, but let me read this here from 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to be reading verses 11 to 17. This is written by the apostle Peter. This is the guy who walked on water. This is the guy who denied that he knew Jesus. This is the guy who Jesus said, you are the rock and on your testimony, I'm going to be building this thing called the church. And he writes this letter to followers of Jesus. And so he starts off here in verse 11, and he says, dear friends, he's talking to his friends. He's talking to his church. He goes, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. That tension I mentioned that Jesus is Lord But your spiritual enemy wants you to make the world and the teachings of the world your Lord. And so there is a war raging against your soul. Continues in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans. That's always a funny word. I love when my non-Christian friends, when I call them pagan by accident, usually doesn't go well. 
Okay, I don't recommend you call your friends that are visiting or your family members that don't know Jesus when they come visit you this Christmas. Go, hey, how are you doing, you pagan? Don't lead with that. But it's kind of the way they spoke back then. What this word means is someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. Okay, what it means. It's just someone, it could be someone who practices another faith. It could be someone who practices witchcraft. It could be an atheist, an agnostic. It's just anyone who doesn't, practice, you know, doesn't follow the ways and teachings of Jesus. Okay? Newer translations change this word because it's got a little bit of a stigma to it. Okay? But live in such a good, sorry, live such good lives. Again, talking to the church, live such good lives among the non-Christians that though they accuse you of doing wrong because you're not living like the world (laughs) and the world looks at you like you're a nut job. (laughs) What are you doing? We don't live that way here. We don't talk that way here. We don't behave this way in our office. We don't behave this way at school. They accuse you of doing wrong. But they see your good deeds. And then they glorify God on the day that he visits us. Continues in verse 13. So it says, so submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do right and to commend those who do right. Sorry, to do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So in in these like eight verses here, it doesn't say the three words, Jesus is Lord. But hopefully as you look at those eight verses, you can see the huge implication for the life of the church. That Jesus is Lord over a whole lot of areas of our lives. Right? The, the whole theme of this letter that Peter wrote to the church is he's writing to people who are suffering. Like he's not writing to people that are like, you know, again, sitting around the Baptist buffet, you know, getting ready to celebrate Christmas with the big giant turkey and the, all the chocolate and the party and all that stuff. He, he's writing to people who are suffering greatly under evil government. And that's going to be a whole other sermon series another time. Like one of these days I'm going to preach like a 10-week series on government. Blows your mind when you study the biblical view of government. It's so cool, right? So under evil government, huge oppression, huge suffering, there's this theme of hope. There's this theme of joy. There's this theme of you don't have to worry about this. Because Jesus is Lord. And even while you're under evil government, even while you're under oppression, even under extreme suffering, believers, um, when they are mocked, 
when they are misunderstood, because Jesus is Lord, their lives are being transformed in such a way that people notice that you're different, <laughs> that you handle suffering different, differently, that you handle pain differently, that you handle relationships differently. And they notice it. And so the big idea as we talk about this topic of Jesus as Lord is this, is making Jesus Lord over our lives changes lives around us. Making Jesus Lord of our lives changes lives around us. And so I want us to kind of unpack this a little bit and look at a couple of points from here to ask ourselves the tough question. And I've been asking myself, like, tough questions <laughs> this week. Because the world hurts. And I don't know about you, but I, I watch the world hurting. And, 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 I, and I have the privilege of being invited into people's hurt in my role. And you meet people that you care about who hurt, <laughs> And you realize the extent of the hurt and the evil and the darkness of this world. When we check our own hearts, my greatest desire for you is that regardless of the hurt, you could still cry out, Jesus is Lord. But we have to check this first. Okay? So a few questions that I've even been asking myself this week as I've been, and I actually wrote this sermon two weeks ago. So now I really went back to it and looked at it closely to see Jesus being Lord. The first is this. You have to ask yourself this. um, Do I truly live like a foreigner? Do I live like a foreigner? Like it starts off here in verse 11 where Peter says to the church, dear friends, I urge you. And then he says an interesting word here, as foreigners and exiles. He doesn't say you are kind of like a foreigner and an exile in this city where you live. He doesn't say, he's not using it as like a metaphor. He's not using it as a parable. He's saying as foreigners and exiles. He's actually describing who you actually are. You're a foreigner. You're an exile. The world that you and I live in is not our world. The culture that you and I live in is not our culture. Now, the best way to understand this is you have to understand how Jewish people view being a foreigner or being an exile. And one of the best examples of living like an exile, living like a foreigner in the Old Testament is the story of Daniel, where um, this king comes in and completely destroys the Jewish people's way of life, removes everything, removes the, the temple, removes the government, takes them from their land, plucks you from your home. And sends you to something completely foreign. You don't speak the language. You don't know the customs. You don't know the traditions. 
You don't know which worship songs they sing. Am I allowed to raise my hand during the song? Do I have to put my hands in my pocket? What's the posture that I'm supposed to take? All of these things. It's completely, totally foreign. But you're called now to live there. Raise your family there. Go to work there. Bless your family there. As a complete, total stranger in exile. And, and I think it's hard for us to fully grasp that. You know, different ways that I encourage Christians to experience this. Um, I, we've done this. My family and I, we've done this. We've gone because um, we, we were invited as kind of leaders in our community here um, to go visit uh, people uh, at a mosque. And the reason we went is because if you remember a few years ago, there was a gunman who went in Montreal and, and killed a bunch of Muslims. And so we were asked to just come and pray to that community. And we said, well, is it okay if we pray in Jesus' name? And like, absolutely, yeah. And, and, and then it was a, even more funny. It was like, could my wife be the one who prays? And I'm like, yeah, no way. They're going to kick my wife out into the back and all that. And it's like, no, they let my wife up front, and she prayed the Lord's Prayer in Jesus' name, you know? But boy, oh boy, for that hour and a half when I was in that room, I'm like, what is going on here? Completely different language. Like, I had no clue. Completely foreign. No idea. Friendly reminder, your non-Christian friends actually feel that way about what we do here. They have no concept what goes on in this room. They have no idea. And just as you would be uncomfortable going to a mosque, they are just as uncomfortable coming to this place that we can easily just take for granted. <laughs> Sidebar. <laughs> Another way I once felt as a foreigner was I actually, my, one of my very first missions trips that I went on, and it's funny that Bashara is here today, because Bashara, I love that man dearly, he's a good dear friend of mine, somehow conned me into going to Lebanon. Because if you know me, you know I hate travel. Like, I don't like airplanes. I love Lebanese food. Lebanese food wins. It's the best food on the planet. So he's like, because you like Lebanese food, you're going to want to come to Lebanon. Right? You know, the correlation there didn't fit. Um, But my day one, first day in Lebanon, we're in Beirut, and we get on this bus, and we're brought to this center where there's like thousands of refugees pouring in from all these other countries and we set up a clinic. So I was there with doctors and nurses, and I was there as a pastor to do spiritual care, pray with people, and tell people about Jesus with all these doctors and nurses. And so day one, we're jet lagged and everything. I get off the, the bus, and I do what you know tourists do, and I take out my cell phone, and I begin to take pictures, right? Because I'm literally in an Indiana Jones movie. Like, it looks exactly like an Indiana Jones movie, and I'm a nerd, right? So, like, Indiana Jones movie, except for the new one. That was garbage. But anyways, like, it's like I'm in this Indiana Jones movie, and I'm like, it looks exactly like it. The buildings and the, the laundry hanging all across the balconies, and, and, like, there's no electrical code whatsoever in the city of Beirut. Like, everyone's just siphoning electricity off of everyone else's wire. You can see sparks. It's crazy. And I'm out there, click, click, click taking all these pictures. Then we get into the center and the pastor of this church, this center says, okay, just so you know, this place isn't safe. Okay. Why is it not safe? He goes, because completely surrounding this building is Hamas, a terrorist organization. 
And they let us stay here as a Christian church because we bring doctors here to take care of their children. They have one rule. They don't want to see white people outside this building taking pictures. That's the rule you tell people on the bus. I'm a dead man. I spent the rest of that day looking for snipers. Like, I don't know what pictures I took. I have no, I can't read the signs. Which one is the Hamas recruitment sign? I don't know. I'm deleting every picture on my phone before they find me. I've never been so stressed out in my life. Because I was complete, totally foreign. Everything was foreign to me about that way of life. And yet these Christians are there bringing the gospel. That's how Peter describes you in your family. You're a foreigner. If, you don't have, if, you're, if you're the only Christian in your family, you know what it's like to feel like a foreigner. If you're the only Christian in your workplace, you know what it's like to feel like a foreigner. If you're the only Christian in your school, you know what it's like to live as a foreigner. But we have to ask ourselves, do I actually feel like a foreigner or, I'm, or am I becoming so comfortable with the world that I don't, it doesn't feel foreign to me anymore? Everyone in my office acts this way. I act this way and it doesn't bother me. Everyone at school behaves this way. And I'm going to behave that way, and it doesn't bother me. See, when the ways of the culture and the ways of the world don't bother us anymore, we might be following a different Lord. (laughs) It's a question to ask ourselves. Without judgment and no condemnation, because we saw two weeks ago, Romans 8, there's no condemnation with this. But it's an honest question. Jesus said these words in John chapter 17. He says, my prayer is not for them to take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. You sent me into the world. I have sent them into the world. You and I are men and women and boys and girls who are foreigners and exiles sent into the world. So that's the first question we have to ask. Is Jesus, if Jesus is truly Lord, then the things of the world should feel foreign to us. <laughs> the second thing that we look at is what we see Peter talking about here is how we live our lives. And do I see in my life as I'm abiding more and more in Christ, that I'm living a life of doing good. Am I living a life of doing good? Again, as a foreigner in this world, we live differently, and we live in such a way because Jesus is changing us, and we're not perfect, but as Jesus is changing us, we do good. We do good. We do good. Verse 12 shows us this reminder of the lives that we are called to live. Peter writes, he says, Live such good lives among the pagans, among the non-Christians, 
that they accuse you of doing wrong. It's like the way you're living is insane. Come on. Everyone does this. Everyone works this way. Everyone lies to their clients. Everyone sleeps around. Everyone cheats on their taxes. Everyone complains about the government. Everyone, whatever it is. <laughs> right? And he's saying, and people are going to look at that life. Says so you're doing it wrong. You're doing life wrong. <laughs> but they go, but Bob is really nice. <laughs> and Sue is really helpful. Even though I don't, their, their life makes no sense to me. They see the good deeds being done. Right? They see the difference that Jesus is Lord makes in your life as you constantly do good. Right? Peter is encouraging his readers to maintain good, uh, good conduct so that they can positively testify to other people about Jesus. Right? It's hard to be a testimony of Jesus' love and goodness when people around you don't like you. You ever met that guy or that lady who says they love the Lord? And you're like, I really hope I'm not sitting beside them at church today. No, no one like that is here. <laughs> there isn't. No, I'm serious. Um, but sometimes... We meet these religious, legalistic Christians that push people away from Jesus. Now, if people are being pushed away because you're sticking to the truth of God's word, that's different. But this is why I unapologetically say we have to be defenders of the truth of God's word, but that does not give us permission to not be nice people. There's a very fine balancing act in defending the truth of the Bible and of sound doctrine compared to just not being very nice. Because <laughs> right? this is what Peter talks about in, in, in this passage. He says, don't let um, kind of your, your, your freedom in Christ, I'm going to talk more about freedom in a second, to just lead you to become evil, <laughs> to give in to bad things. Right? And so he's talking here that we have to unapologetically expect Christians to live differently. I remember years ago, not here, um, but years ago, I was invited to be a part of, of some church reconciliation that was going on uh, with some leaders and some members, and, and it was really ugly. Like, and sadly, like in our brokenness and in our hurt and in our woundedness, we hurt people. It's how we operate as humans. And I was kind of brought in, this is several, several years ago, brought in to kind of help kind of clean this up. And I got together with a couple of the leaders, it was husband and wife, and they were just like, yeah, but this person, and just like venting it. And a little part of me in my flesh goes, oh, yeah, let's do that. That's fun. Because in my flesh, yeah, I can vent. I really can. I'm good. I'm French Canadian. I'm really good at it. Okay. And then they're going and going and going. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to take a step back. And it's like, yeah, but do you realize what they've done to me? And they're like, yes. But you're a leader. And I expect leaders, Christian leaders, to act like Christian leaders. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Because it's kind of what our Bible tells us. To expect that. To trust the process. 
We get it. There's hurt. There's woundedness. There's brokenness. But we have to watch our lives, our lives. Because if our life looks exactly like our non-Christian friend, again, how we treat clients, how we treat sexuality, how we treat money, how we treat government, how we treat business, how we treat education, whatever it is for you and me, if we look exactly the same as the world, Jesus is probably not Lord. Galatians chapter 6. I love this passage. This is like one of these underline it, put it on Instagram, put it on your fridge kind of passages. Try to be cool saying Instagram instead of Facebook. Facebook's not cool anymore, according to my children. So, but it's how my mom talks to me. I'm old. I talk to my mom on Facebook. Anyways, Galatians 6, 9 to 10. Let us not become weary in doing good. But God, I'm tired. I need a break. Do good. Yeah, but work was really hard this week. Do good. Yeah, but this person was really mean to me this week. Do good. Yeah, but do good. (laughs) Let us not become weary of doing good. Even if you don't see the benefit of it. Sometimes we don't see the benefit of the good that the church does for decades. Sometimes we might die and never see the benefit of the good that our church has done and only find out about it in glory in heaven. Never be weary of doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And in the original Greek, all people means all people, not just Christians and not just people who do good to us. <laughs> that we do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Right? We do good. We change our lives. What we believe about God changes our lives. That's why our, our mission statement here, again, if you don't know what our mission statement is, you walk past it every single Sunday. We're a church that is committed to leading people in knowing, living, and sharing Jesus. I don't want to just puff up your knowledge. And then you can go around, take your Bible, and smack everybody with it. No. It changes how you live your life. The good news of Jesus, when we realize that we're foreigners in this sinful, fallen world, that we were actually plucked out of that world, and plucked in and put in and placed into a new family. And it wasn't by our behavior. It wasn't because we're so good and so religious and we kept all the rules. God goes, oh, wow, okay, this, okay Steve, you made it, man. You're like awesome. So I'm going to pluck Steve out because of how great he is. And pluck him and put him over there. Sorry, I made eye contact. Sorry. Okay. I normally say Bob or Sue. People, who's Bob and Sue? You really pick on them a lot at our church generic okay it's not because you did everything right but it's because jesus did everything right and all we did is we let the holy spirit actually let us let him convict us of our sin and we said father forgive me a sinner thank you for sending jesus to die for me take that sin take it away from me i want nothing to do with it 
come into my life and make me new. And when you pray like that, and maybe some of you, you've just prayed that way for the very first time today. If you did, tell me after the service today. We want to rejoice and celebrate with you. If you did that online, just let us know. Email us. Click the link that pops up and want to celebrate with you. But what happens when you pray like that is you're taken out of the world of darkness and you're brought into the kingdom of light. And now that world is foreign now. And God's going to like do some work as we abide in Jesus. And he's going to change how we live. We don't do good to earn God's love. The good that you and I do is done as a response of the love that God has already given you. Because you are so loved, because you are so forgiven, because you have the mercies of God available instantly, man, we rejoice and we do good. Even when life is hard. Even when there's challenges. That we live lives of good, doing good. So question one, do you see yourself living as a foreigner? Do you see yourself living a life of doing good? And then finally, the last thing that Peter talks about is this idea of freedom. And freedom is an important topic, I think, for us as Christians to um, talk about as we're abiding in Jesus, as we want Jesus to bear more and more fruit. We have to figure out the tension of freedom. Now, I'm not talking kind of government, Canada, freedom, religious freedom, human rights freedom. I'm not talking about that kind of freedom. I'm talking about sin freedom, <laughs> Okay, It's this whole idea of this side of heaven, in our human flesh, we will sin. It's how it works. However, Jesus calls us to be holy, just like he is holy. Jesus calls us to actually pursue holiness. Basically, what Jesus is telling the church is that we are pursuing holiness perfection. So now you know that's the goal. The goal is perfection. You know you're never going to be perfect. I know I'm never going to be perfect. My wife knows I'm never going to be perfect. (laughs) But that doesn't change the goal. (laughs) And sometimes because we know unless Jesus returns and sets up his eternal kingdom, or I close my eyes in death and open them again in glory. (laughs) If one of those two things don't don't happen, I'm not going to be perfect yet until one of those two things happen. (laughs) But it doesn't give me freedom to go, well, I'm always going to treat people like that. It's just who I am. Or uh, I'm always just going to struggle with pornography. That's just who I am. Or I'm always going to be a liar. That's just who I am. Oh, I'm always going to be a thief. See, none of you would just admit to ever, I'm just a liar, and so that's okay. <laughs> or I'm just a thief, and that's okay. Or I'm just a murderer, that's okay. We would never say those words, but deep down in our heart, we know which sin we kind of cling to. I'm always going to be a gossip, and that's never going to change. Always going to look at pornography, that's never going to change. I'm always going to like cheat on my taxes because getting that extra $1,000 really helps. I'm always going to lie to my client so I can close the deal. What is it that you give yourself freedom on that Jesus says, "Um, I'd like to be Lord there? (laughs) Because if Jesus is truly Lord there, um, then suddenly you don't see that as freedom. 
you see that as bondage. <laughs> that this sin that I keep going back to, this sin that I keep hanging on to, it's not freedom why I keep doing that. It's slavery why I keep doing that. <laughs> and you have a new master. <laughs> I have a new master. The master is Jesus. <laughs> the master is not that sin. The master is not my flesh. The Bible tells me that through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can actually learn to master my flesh. Some people, oh, and they give up smoking, and they give up drinking, and they give up pornography, and they give up this, and, they, and it's just instant. Other people, it takes them 60 years. And you praise God for both. <laughs> right? We have to watch how we treat our freedom. Like, again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16 says, Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. What he's saying is, I know you're going to, like, again, he's talking to people that are struggling. And I know in the struggle, you're going to say something to someone that you're going to regret. In the struggle, you're going to do something that you're going to regret. Don't justify it in your freedom. Because you're forgiven of your sin. You're forgiven of your sins completely, totally, forever. But don't say, well, at least I'm forgiven, but I still have this. Right? That's what Peter's warning us against. Don't just use freedom as a cover-up for this idea that we want to be stuck in things. Right? So we have to ask, do I have areas where I'm using freedom, my freedom of my salvation as an excuse to keep doing something that if I really handed it off to God, if I really gave this to Jesus, Jesus would actually change that. I remember... I tried to explain this concept when my kids were little. And my kids aren't here today, so I can talk about them without giving them money. So that's kind of the deal I've had in my house for 20 years. Whenever I talk about my children, I've got to give, pay them. They're not here. Praise God. So <laughs> save myself 10 bucks. Now they're expensive. Now you almost 20 bucks now. Inflation, Dad. <laughs> Anyways, when my kids were little, they would go to school. And the kids at the school, it was like Cameron was like grade 7, Sam would have been grade five. The kids were allowed to do things that my children were not allowed to do. The children were allowed, the kids at school were allowed to watch movies that my kids were not allowed to watch. My kids were allowed to play video games that my kids were not allowed to watch uh, or play. And, and obviously, their friends were like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you allowed? Your parents stink. They were doing 1 Peter chapter 2. Getting that kind of response. The world's going to think, accuse you of doing wrong. Nothing wrong with a five, someone in grade 5 watching The Walking Dead. What's the big deal? There's nothing wrong with a kid in grade 7 playing Grand Theft Auto. What's the big deal? Some of you are going, yeah, what is the big deal? <laughs> okay. So I had to sit my kids down and said, guys, first and foremost, I don't prevent this because I'm a pastor. I'm not putting that yoke on my children that because they're a pastor's kid, they have to live a certain way at all. That's bondage. That's slavery to religion. That my kids have got to be this picture perfect because if the elders see my kids disbehaving, blah, blah, blah. No. Not doing this to you because I'm a pastor. And then I said, and I'm not doing this because I'm a Christian, saying you can't. What I am doing as your father is I am guarding your hearts. 
because everything is permissible as a follower of Jesus. You can play Grand Theft Auto. You can watch The Walking Dead. You can do whatever you want as a follower of Jesus. Everything is permissible. However, not everything is beneficial. And I said, guys, your father does not watch The Walking Dead. Your father does not play these video games. And I'm a nerd. And everyone's like, what do you mean you don't watch this? I don't watch it. What do you mean you haven't watched The Boys? It's amazing. You love superhero stuff. It's so cool. I don't watch it. Because it's not good for my soul. And I'm not going to become a slave to something that's not good to my soul. And so I just encouraged them. You got to make, right now I make the choice for you. That's the way it works. I'm dad. My name's on the mortgage. I actually told Cameron when he was 14, if you want to take over the mortgage, you can make the decisions. And I showed him my mortgage statement. This is how much I pay every two weeks. I owe him lots of money today. Don't tell him I talked about him. And he's like, yeah, you keep making the rules, Dad. I'm not paying that. <laughs> okay? But we have, and that's why God, I think, knits us together as a family, as the church. Why you're not supposed to do your Christian faith by yourself. Because you actually have to open up your life to let someone say, I don't think that's good for your soul. I don't think that's good for your heart. <laughs> It's permissible, and we don't want to be legalistic about these things. But don't use your freedom to become ensnared to evil. And we have to figure that balance out together. right? In our freedom, we don't treat people any way that we want. In our freedom, we don't treat the church any way that we want. And I'm going to talk more about the church next week. <laughs> In our freedom, we don't get to talk about government any way that we want. I mean, in this passage, he says, honor the emperor. The person who wants to kill us? Yep. Honor them. Doesn't mean they're honorable. <laughs> but it means guard your heart. <laughs> guard your heart <laughs> on this stuff. Right? Because the big idea that making Jesus Lord over our lives changes lives around us. It changes your life. <laughs> it changes our family. It changes our workplace. And that's why abiding in Jesus is so much more than just simple disciplines for the sake of disciplines. It's so that you and I can know our Father in heaven. Hear his voice. Trust it. When your Father in heaven says you don't have to look like the rest of the world, you can trust it because you know your Father's voice. When the world comes at you and says, what's wrong with you? You should live like us. You can actually lovingly respond, I, I live a different way because of my father's voice in my life. And I let that change me, regardless of the circumstance around us. If the world never gets better, and the Bible teaches us the world's going to get darker. So if the world gets darker, how do you and I shine brighter? It's by checking our freedoms, checking our lives, and checking, am I truly making Jesus Lord over my life so that God can use me to be a blessing to others? Let's pray.
Lord God, thank you for the reminder that Jesus is Lord. When I think things depend on me and my wisdom and my knowledge and my plans, Lord, you remind us daily that Jesus is Lord. So Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, encourage us today. Encourage us today that you are Lord. Maybe there's some of us that are here, and if we were really honest before you, we we know there's parts of our lives that we've not allowed you to be Lord in. Whether it's our money, whether it's our time, whether it's sexuality, whatever, whatever it is, God. If there's any part of our life where we've not made you Lord, Father, in your goodness and in your mercy, forgive us. Forgive me. And come into our lives, into that specific area, and change me. Change us. So that people will notice the difference. That people will notice our good deeds. People will notice our transformed lives in such a way that the only way that they can respond is, what is it about your God? And what is it about your faith in him that can change a man or a woman like that? So Holy Spirit, speak as we continue to worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.